You're listening to the Physics Ed Podcast. For hundreds of ideas, free experiments and more, go to physicseducation.com.au. And now, here's your host, Ben Newsom. Yes, welcome again to the Phys Ed Podcast. Hey, glad to have you again for another chat around science and STEM and all that sort of thing. Trust me, today is definitely around the STEM side. It's all about early years. How do you engage the younger kids into STEM learning? I can tell you now, Vianna Morrison definitely knows a thing or two about science and STEM when it comes to young kids. You see, she's an infants teacher and a digital literacy coach from Innerborough School. That's an independent school out of South Sydney, and she's been working with children in a whole bunch of contexts for the last 13 years, including childcare in Ush. So she's got quite a wide, varied background when it comes to the younger kids. Now, she's just currently studying her master's in educational leadership, but she's incredibly passionate about STEM when it comes to young kids, really engaging the kids' you know, imaginations and their curiosity and really helping them enjoy their learning. And that's what it's all about. So uh, let's listen to Fiona Morrison. Trust me, she's got a lot to share when it comes to science and STEM. And uh, let's get right into it. This is the Physics Ed Podcast. We're all about science, ed tech and more. To see 100 fun free experiments you can do with your class, go to physicseducation.com.au. That's physics spelled F-I-Z-Z-I-C-S. And click 100 free experiments. Thanks so much for having me, Ben. I'm excited to be here. Oh, look, I'm absolutely stoked to have you here. And, um, and honestly, it's not, we've communicated, but um, through Twitter. Yes, <laughs> it's actually kind yes. of cool to see you face to face. Yeah, it's like you know the person really well, but you haven't actually met them. So it's great to actually meet you. <laughs> Although I must say, on those, um, those Twitter chats, uh, and by the way, if anyone's wondering, what we talk about primary STEM chat it happens every Thursday night on eight thirty Australian Eastern Standard Time. It is awesome place to hang out with lots of educators. Yeah. That chat with I mean you're you're amongst you know, many many educators. It's in a flurry. It's so quick. <laughs> it is absolutely. I had to download TweetDeck to actually keep up with it because I can't do it on my phone. So. My first tip there is if anyone is keen to do a Twitter chat, get onto TweetDeck because it'll make your life so much easier. Oh, totally. So, and especially if you end up posting it, it's just insane. Yes, yes. Yeah. absolutely. But here's the thing. I mean, it, it, as much as Twitter is awesome and whatnot, I mean, you've been involved in education for a while and clearly deal with a lot of the younger kids. Tell us what do you get up to. Yes. So I've been with the younger kids for the last five or six years in a school setting. Um, I've also got two young boys at home, so I'm really in the thick of it with the young ones. Um, I've also had experience working in childcare and, and things like that. So really, I've been working with little kids for about 13 years or so. Um, it's a bit busy, but it's amazing how excited the kids get, how curious they are, um, all of those sorts of things. So yeah, I'm really excited to be chatting about the early years today. So, um, so when did you start doing it? Um, in terms of working with the kids? Yeah. Yeah, so I, for, straight from school, I did um, before and after school care. And then I did a bit of childcare, like in a childcare centre with sort of zero to five years. So I started with the younger kids. Um, I worked in my church for about six years, running kids programs and things like that as well. Um, and then I decided that I really wanted to be an educator, really get into the thick of it with the kids um, in the day to day and really have an impact on their whole development. Um, so I graduated from uh, university back in 2015, I think. So I've been working since then um, with sort of year one and year two, um, as well as um, having my, my young boys who are two and four. <laughs> you can't get away from the young ones no matter what you do. Love it. 
absolutely love it. Although there are some days when I say to my husband, hmm, will I have any children listen to me today? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> What's really cool about doing the early, early years and dealing with you know, grade one and two is that you get to see the effect of the, of the, you know, the programs that get put into preschool. And then they really are quite deep and varied, actually, and depending on what center they work with. But seeing the impact of what you know, the, the kids come from multiple places, they can really have different skills depending on what they've been exposed to. Absolutely. I think um, in the younger years, there really is such a wide variety of skills um, and also, I think, mindsets as well. So um, their understanding of things, uh, their, their patience for things, their, their resilience for things as well. So really, when you get a whole lot of the little kids with you in either kindergarten or year one you really have this whole spectrum that you're kind of trying to work with and you're trying to meet all the students where they're at um, which can be very challenging because you want what's best for all of them but it's like how many how much time of the day do I really have to try and really nut out the the nitty-gritty for all of them well that's the reality is like I mean catatou education especially K let's be honest I mean it is so incredibly wide I mean it's kind of like you're wrangling (laughs) for <laughs> the first couple Absolutely. of months. Absolutely. Um, I mean, some kids have been accelerated. They've been through. I mean, I'm, I'm amazed how many um, some parents put kids through like tutoring, even, and the kids like, yeah. oh. um, yes. and others are still learning. They've only just learned toilet training. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. That why? And I think coming as like a, a parent as well, there really is this culture of um, comparison as well. So, you know, like you're talking with other parents, you're like, oh, my, my child has started reading books and, and they're four years old or my child knows their numbers. And I think that that can be really challenging as well for educators because I'm giving a lot of feedback to parents saying it's okay that they can't read by the time they're starting kindergarten because that's kind of what they're learning in kindergarten so you're kind of trying to um trying to alleviate the parents concerns there and also realize that let's not rush the kids into reading you know chapter books and things like that i think the younger years it's all about play and it, and that's a really vital part of their development and how they're going to develop skills that are going to carry through to adulthood as well and those skills can help them with those things like reading and, and writing and, and all of that and that's one of the things i really want to have a chat with you about play is the deal with the young it's ones the and 100 this thing that's coming up with this stem thing this stem concept that will not go away in any way <laughs> uh, and it really is so important for young kids i mean how are you been addressing like stem i mean stem can be done in so many different ways in the older yes. years, but the younger ones direction versus not direction what do you do with it how do you handle it what are you what have you been doing with stem for the kids well it is challenging because i think we have a very crowded curriculum mm-hmm. and there is a big focus on literacy and numeracy in those early years and that's important but i think stem really offers an opportunity to, to develop those real critical 21st century skills we keep banging on about and how important they are Um, collaboration, creativity, critical thinking, um, communication, all of those things are really crucial to STEM that carry through into those literacy and numeracy as well. So um, we've had, due to um, the current circumstances with remote learning and and COVID, we've actually had our timetable free up a little bit more. So we've been able to have some really explicit STEM time um, that 
really has been a challenge to fit in otherwise. I've been trying to slot it in when, when I can or integrate it into the other units um, because I just think it's really crucial for the students to be involved in. Um, so, for example, we integrated it with our literacy unit this term we were doing a unit on monsters and we were looking at the Gruffalo, a beautiful book. I absolutely love it. Um, so we in kind of integrated it with a bit of literacy and we included maths from mathematics and we included the technology with the blue bots and the students were able to make their own little maps um, of the Gruffalo story and move the blue bots through the map. And my, my colleague said, I've never seen the kids so engaged before. And it's, you're just, you're covering all of those key learning areas you're covering all of those skills and it's kind of you see that and you think why wouldn't you be doing it like more often you know like I think it's once you actually get into it and you see what kind of learning the kids are doing I think that's a real buy-in for other educators as well yeah you've just you've just created a classic book haven't you like I mean yeah. You might be learning robotics, but now no, you're learning, you're just teaching a story, you're telling a story and the kids just go nuts and suddenly. Yeah, they think they're just playing with robots, but really we know that there's a lot more depth to it as well. No, you just did spatial reasoning, didn't you? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Covered all the bases. <laughs> That's cool. I mean, so those people who haven't uh, seen before, blue bots are quite neat. I mean, they're the, yeah. the evolution of the bee bot. Uh, yes. Clear case, blue lights, kind yes. of cutesy sort of. Do you get the kids to program off, the, off an iPad or do you get them to do it? On the buttons we've been doing it on the buttons with the actual robots i think that gives them the opportunity to pick it up and explore it and yeah. sort of when they get it wrong and they're trying to debug what they've done they kind of pick it up and go okay well i've got to move it here and i've got to move it there and i think again it goes to that spatial reasoning of because they're so little and they're not familiar with coding as much as maybe the, the older years um it really gives them that ability to kind of move it around and realize oh it goes here and it goes here and I've got to move along here so I the the evolution to the the iPad and that kind of coding will come but I think as an introductory just that hands-on with the actual blue bots really been helpful no I agree I mean the whole concrete learning thing comes up I mean um, I honestly find it easier to teach yes just by picking the thing up and moving around and watching yeah. the kids trying to get their head around cumulative impact of their coding you know, they yes. think they press a button and that's the next thing it's going to do and they've got yeah. the other 30 commands they've given it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they forget to cancel the previous mm. program and so you just see them press the buttons and they go off and they're wondering why it's done that. You're like, oh, remember you've got to cancel the program first before you... But they pick it up really quickly, which is amazing. What's cool about this is that you could actually uh, bring in the built environment because they could build the forest for the gruffalo. They could build Absolutely. castles and bridges and whatever else you feel like. It really, and that comes out of the time thing. Yeah. Absolutely. So how yeah. would you handle this from a remote learning point of view? Because the kids are in different small houses. Yes. So we were trying to incorporate some STEM into our remote learning. So we did think like even things like baking. During uh, Anzac Day, we got the kids to, to bake the Anzac cookies. And we could do that at school. And we could also get them to do it at home. And you're, you're including, your, you know, your mathematics and, you know, the science of like, why is the um, bicarb soda bubbling up and things like that. We were able to incorporate those kinds of things. And it's really just trying to think of what are the, the what do the students have access to at their place? STEM's fantastic because, you know, you can kind of use almost anything to do building. Like a lot of the students in our area, they have access to Lego. So if we say, can you build, you know, X, Y, and Z, they can, they can do that. We, um, 
We also did, um, just trying to remember off the top of my head, there was something else I was going to say. Um, what did we get them to make? Oh, we, um, because they've got access to devices and technology, we were able to put them onto the, the Hour of Code website. Okay. So the students went through a very basic block coding with that as well. Um, but we, yeah, with our science unit last term, we included some design thinking for the year ones and they had to come up with, um, you know, they had to create something to monitor the noise levels in the classroom. And we started that before remote learning. And so, you know, we'd gone through the empathy stage and the iteration stage and the design stage and they got to that and that's where they went home. Yep. And we actually found that the students had more access to resources at home. They thought, I want to make this. Okay, I'm going to use this. I'm going to use that rather than relying on only what we had at school. So the things that the students came up with were phenomenal. They came up with lots of different um, gadgets. We had one student who made um, a, like a speaker for the phone out of plastic cups and a toilet roll. And okay. it was amazing. I loved it. And I think um, just them having a bit more space to do that at home, like because they don't, they don't have this as much of a structured timetable at home. If we say, can you turn this design that you've made into something at home? And they just ran with it. And the parents said that they loved it because they got to go and build and create and do those things. And it's not something that the parents have to monitor as much as, okay, go onto the device to do your English and your maths because that was a challenge for our kids during That's remote really learning. Cool. You guys, it reminds, reminds me of a thing. I had actually built it, so I'm not going to describe it very well. But someone had set up a way of doing a home, home theatre with some cardboard in their iPhone. Yeah, wow. Really, really cool. And there's something to throw the kids. But I was also just thinking there too about the um, the sound meter within yeah. your room. It's something I kind of did with. Uh, yeah. We made it, but I didn't tell them what I was really doing was create. We're creating devices. If it actually starts moving, it's telling you that the class is too loud. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> they all made their own quietening device. It was awesome. <laughs> oh. Well, that's kind of where we were going with our year ones because we were looking at sound energy and they, did, they didn't understand the concept that we wanted something that could tell the, the kids when to make noise and when to stop making noise so they were all thinking okay it's something that stops making noise so they would like ring a bell and go okay everyone be quiet and I'd be like well how how do we what can we do to make it noisy again if we want people to talk to each other and they're all like hmm and they had to really think about it so it was good to be able to include that questioning to extend their thinking as well. Oh, totally. It actually reminds me, we've run, run a lot of Lego Monsters programs and um, whenever they use the, uh, use the clap to stop, yes. um, very simple uh, yep. program. Problem is they don't allow for the actual just genuine noise in the classroom and they think that the thing won't move. I'm going, of course, it's already too loud. And then they have to realise they've got to change the sampling <laughs> level. <Yes. laughs> it's kind of, it's funny to watch them actually sort of realise that. Yes. Um, and then they realise that the louder they are, the more it moves. They then change it. And yep. then suddenly the, the class just becomes way louder. Because they're all screaming at the robot. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> uh, it's good fun. The thing is, though, I mean, STEM is often, I mean, it depends on which way we cut it. Way. Yeah. That's a lot of T, the technology side of it. But there's lots of science that kids can do. There's a lot of measurement and engineering and yes. whatnot. And the kids can have fun. I love the fact you were talking about the Anzac biscuit. You know, yes. By the way, if you're listening, if you haven't had an Anzac biscuit, uh, yeah, just get some golden syrup, some rolled rice, all that sort of yeah. rolled rice, rolled oats, oats early in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. Rice. Maybe you could try it with rice. Cool. That's the experiment. Oh. Oats versus rice. But they were used in World War One, and yeah. they were fantastically awesome for our soldiers. And we've had them since down this way. Um, yeah. Very good. 
And I suppose, do you have any kids um, try more than one recipe? Um, we had some students, so we had a recipe at school to do it with the, the handful of students who were still at school at the time. But we had students who, you know, their parents had recipes that they'd been using. And um, yeah, we had a few different bits and pieces. And we also try to include, again, we included literacy into it. We put like, um, uh, we're doing procedure writing. So we also included a scaffold scaffold of procedure writing where the, the students have to cut and paste and put in like the recipe as well. So I think that had a lot of the steps on it, but because the students were at home, they did have that flexibility where they used a recipe that their parents had, or they changed the ingredients a little bit and you know, that's okay. <laughs> we're okay with that. Uh, yeah. It, no, it is actually, is a good thing too, because like, uh, getting kids to understand their testing way yeah. from a very, very early age. And procedural thinking is a thing. It turns out yeah. you actually got to do it right through your whole life. Um, <laughs> getting kids to actually do that and have, it'd be interesting to actually get the kids. I wonder, I'm just sort of making this up. Just, I wonder if you could get them to write a recipe that gets sent to another kid to build. And they, have, they could compare, I wonder if they could compare the two. You, I've done something similar. We've done something similar with Lego building. Or no, sorry, with pattern blocks. We got the, the students to create something with the pattern blocks and they had to write down the steps and then share it with a partner to recreate. And it's really interesting because with U1, um, sometimes the steps are not as explicit as they could be. And I don't know if you've seen those um, videos on, on YouTube with the dad who tries to make the peanut butter sandwich. Oh, the sandwich is a classic. With, the, with, his, with his kids. So yeah. we actually showed the kids that. Yep. And we, we made fairy bread with them. And I was the, the person who was pretending I was following their exact instructions. So I was wearing bread on my head and I was sticking a knife in the butter and trying to like move it around. And the kids are all laughing going, what? And we're like, the instructions weren't specific enough. Right. So it's really interesting that real like visual um, example for the students really makes a big difference. So sometimes you've got to be really explicit with the younger students um, so that they kind of, it tweaks that understanding of, oh, actually, I need to be a bit more, you know, elaborate with what I'm explaining and my details have to be really specific. Um, but, yeah, and it's also a lot of fun. <laughs> it is a lot of fun. And um, sometimes some schools will have, they'll link their young ones with the older kids as a leadership thing. Is that something that you do at your school? Yeah, we do have a buddy program. Obviously, due to the current restrictions, <laughs> we haven't been able to do it because... Um, that's obviously too many students in one space. But yeah, we once a fortnight, our year ones would have a year six buddy and we would do different bits and pieces. We've done, you know, some pen pal writing and things. Um, our plan for when we came back was to do a bit of Minecraft because the year sixes were very jealous that I was doing Minecraft with the year ones. So we had to say, okay, when, when we come back, we can do a bit of Minecraft and building within that. So um, yeah, there's obviously lots of, opportunities for STEM there as well and for the older kids to scaffold the younger kids for some of those more challenging um yeah activities well totally so I mean I actually think of my daughter uh, she's in year five she was completely jealous knowing <laughs> yeah don't tell her <laughs> I think there are a lot of games out there that work incredibly well for teaching kids yeah I've, I mean I've actually I'm aware of chemistry teachers using my yeah um you know they can totally go right into it yeah, and I think um, like I love Minecraft. I've been using it for the last five or six years. Um, and I think a lot of teachers sort of shy away because they're like, I don't understand Minecraft. Oh, 
And I think part of it is just letting go of that and realizing the kids will probably know more than you do. And that's okay. Um, if you know the basics of setting up, you know, the environment so that it's, you know, there's no nasty things coming at you. And um, once you can kind of do that and set those parameters, which is really simple to do, the kids have lots of exploration with that. So we did a geography unit this term um, about Australian environments. And some of the kids chose to make their environment in Minecraft to demonstrate what they learned about the animals and the plants and um, how people can care for those environments. Um, and I think because the kids are used to using it at home as well, they, they come with a lot of pre-knowledge and expertise. So a lot of the times I say to some of my students, okay, you're my expert. If someone asks me a question, can you go and help them out? And that way I've got a few people who can help in that area. Actually, I'm going to ask, maybe some people will be listening, you know, like I don't know, I can't visualise how you teach the environment and animals in Minecraft. So what sort of things do the kids create? So the first thing that we do is we set up the world so it's completely flat. So it's like a, just an endless green field. So it's yep. just completely blank canvas for the kids. They, we did desert and coral reef environments. They were the two that the students got to choose from. And so because they had this completely blank canvas, which can be overwhelming at times, um, and some students sort of struggled, I think, with the open-endedness of it. Um, but a lot of the students, you know, they just, they choose a sand block and they start building it around to make a bit of a desert space. And we talked about what kind of plants are there in the desert? Oh, there's some spinifex. Oh, there's a little grass thing that looks like spinifex. I'll plant it in here. And then we talked about how there's dingoes in the desert but there aren't dingoes in Minecraft. So the kids go, well, I'll put a wolf in because a wolf is kind of like a dingo. I'm like, okay, that's really good logic there. Like, you know, good reasoning skills. So they put those in. Um, so it's just they're, they're bringing their understanding of the desert into, into Minecraft and think they're using those kind of logical skills of, okay, what can I use? I don't have a dingo. I don't have a kangaroo. How can I create something that represents that? Or um, with the education edition of Minecraft, you can... Um, build signs so the kids were able to actually type in some of the information that was a bit harder to represent in Minecraft. Signs. That makes a lot of sense actually. Yes. You could almost create like a tourist trail. Yeah, yeah absolutely well I did that at the start of the term I made our own school rainforest because we started with a rainforest scaffold so I showed them like how the world could look and we we went through the process of inquiry through that first before they went on their own um but there's so many options for it i i just love minecraft so i could talk about it all day <laughs> that's a lot of fun and actually one of the things that you mentioned there was the open-ended problem like you've got this big flat green 2d yeah. space in some ways for students it's, that's kind of like really challenging even if yes. it was minecraft it was just anything it's like hey go for it i don't know i give you any yes. scaffold i'll give you any instruction yes. you sort it out and yes. um quite often with kids can be almost scaffold to get to the end yes. degree Yes, absolutely. I think that was one of the things that, you know, we're always reflecting as teachers ourselves. I think next time I probably wouldn't have made it so open-ended for some of the students because some of the students sort of struggled with it. Um, but the other amazing thing about Minecraft is all the kids work together. They sit next to each other and go, oh, you're building this. Oh, you could just do this here. Oh, I made a dingo. with, And does that collaboration there. So the students who are really struggling with those kinds of things were able to turn to their peers and get support. I, I didn't have any students who were struggling 
to come up with something because they were all sitting next to a friend or two or I had huddles of tables of about eight kids who were just working on it and talking about it and doing this and doing that. And, and it's just amazing to see such collaboration at such a young age as well, um, just working together on that problem. What's well, the thing? Like um, often we go, oh, they're only six. Yeah, mm. so. But they've still got a human intellect in there. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. And I, I've been astounded by some of the, um, the STEM things we've done at school. We, at, earlier in the year, to try and get to know the, the kids, we did um, a STEM challenge of working with partners. Choose someone who you wouldn't normally work with um, try and design something for the classroom to make the classroom a better place. And it was great to see what the kids really value in a classroom, in a classroom setting. And two of my students who sort of are a bit lower on the, um, the literacy side of things came up with the most phenomenal building of our bag room and they created this water station because we all have water and we need... And just... You know, the students that you don't think, you're not sure how they're going to go are the ones who usually really surprise you when it comes to that hands-on building, collaboration kind of exercise. Um, yeah, I think they're, they're a lot more capable than we give them credit for. And I think that's why we really need to be more um, open to play um, in, in the early years because when we allow them to play, we can really see their curiosity and their thinking coming through. Um, yeah. Great advice. Actually, I was going to ask you for advice. In fact, so framing this actually. So if, <laughs> if you had, uh, I don't know, let's, ooh, it's hard to say to early educators, uh, primary educators, actually just say educators. Yes. <laughs> There's yes. an idea. Sure. There's sure. an idea. So you had a bunch of our educators are about to enter the wide world of education. Um, what would be your advice saying, look, righto, so you're going to produce a some sort of STEM unit. And I know you're going to be teaching in grade five. I know some of you are going to be teaching in grade one. And hey, I've got yes. a few people who are going to go into grade 10. Yes. What's some generic advice yep. for anyone listening? Trying to think about yep. how do I sort of kick off my STEM units, make something interesting, fun, irrespective of the age. Because that's what I think yep. that what you're getting at really just parking every age. Yeah. Well, the first thing I would have to say up front is I really think that you need to connect with other like-minded educators because there is nothing more valuable than the advice and the ideas that you can bounce off from other educators so joining twitter this year has been by far the best pd i have ever done um, and joining this primary stem chat we were talking about earlier has been for me just so eye-opening and every week i get new ideas of things to try in my classroom um, i've got connections of people i can talk to if i've got questions or you know i'm like oh i don't know what to do here can anyone help me out and i always get a bunch of advice and ideas so i think by far, that's my first piece of advice. Um, I think the second thing is to really look at, at the curriculum and at your program and your outcomes and what is it that you're actually wanting to achieve? Because sometimes, and I'm, I'm guilty of this as well because, you know, I love Minecraft and I think, oh, I'm just going to do some Minecraft. But I think we need to take a step back and think about what is it that we're actually wanting the students to achieve, um, to be able to do, and, and then kind of frame the lesson around that. So... For example, with the geography unit that we did, it, we, we planned out the geography unit first and then we kind of expanded it to, okay, so how can the students demonstrate what they're learning and how can they work on an open-ended problem? And that's where the Minecraft came in. So I think if you look at the, the programs that you've got and the outcomes you've got, and then there is a lot of understanding the resources and tools that you've got. So 
it's really hard to just throw Minecraft into it if you don't really understand it that much. So going away and just learning a bit about those tools, I've found really helpful. So I spent a lot of time during the week going off and researching some technology tools or going to find some STEM activities or books that can be helpful. Um, yeah, I think those sorts of things are, are really good. Um, yes, I can't rave highly enough about Minecraft. So that, that would be a good resource because I think that Minecraft can fit into a lot of lesson ideas. Um, so definitely check that out as a resource to go to. Um, and even just collecting lots of resources for building activities as well. So I've got a storeroom full of recycled materials from home that I've been collecting over the years. Um, just so if you want to put in a building challenge from a picture book you're reading in literacy, um, you've got those resources ready to go as well. Yeah, I think uh, we all become bowbirds, don't we? we all kind of <laughs> Absolutely. I'm usually, I'm usually sending messages to friends and family going, can you save these bottle lids for me? Can you get this for me? I'm, I'm usually scoured, scouring around wherever I can. Oh, it's crazy. I have a room overfilling. With, I just do. <laughs> now in our workplace, just outside of this room, just fill stuff. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, so ne it's so necessary for those things. So it is, and yeah. actually, especially when we got my poor co-workers, like, are you sure we're keeping this? I can't tell <laughs> if it's trash or treasure anymore. I've got no idea. Okay, it's all mine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I need it because you know, as soon as you throw it out, that's when you'll need it. <laughs> oh, I'm still looking for a particular old camera I was going to use for forensics prop. Oh, but anyway, no. that's, a, that's a different <laughs> that's sort a different of story. And, and when you talk about the uh, the PLN thing, totally, I, I actually reckon that. That probably is probably the number one yeah, for me. Absolutely. Because obviously we can teach the biology, whatever it is that you're teaching. Yeah. Um, but hanging out with people who have done it before or have at least done it in a different way is useful. And actually, it's a half the problem too, because once you go down into PLN, it then becomes a rabbit hole of ideas. Absolutely. Like, Sometimes you get too many ideas and then you want to do all of them, but you're like, okay, I've got to do one at a time. So, yeah, sometimes you, you get a bit overwhelmed with them, but it's fantastic. Yeah. Absolutely. Hey, look, there'll be some people that would love to get in touch with you, uh, Fiona, if they may. How, how would they be able to do that? Um, the best way would be through Twitter because I'm, I'm on there quite frequently. Um, so my username is C-F-I Morrison, M-O-R-R-I-S-O-N-2. So that's the best way to get in touch with me. Um, and I'd be happy to talk about anything with early year STEM, with Minecraft. Yep. I would love to have a chat. Absolutely. And as usual, we'll put that in the show notes and yep. be able to check that out. Look. Thank you very much for hanging out. So it's on the school holidays. I know you've got a little bit of time left, but I mean, hopefully um, get some still actual holiday time in amongst your lesson. Um, yeah, thank you so much. I've, I've really enjoyed it. Good fun. And we'll catch you, uh, no doubt. On, yeah. <laughs> this is like an ad for yeah, hashtag no Primary Chat, but it is. It is. Join us on Thursday. <laughs> it is. It's been really helpful for me as an educator yeah. from a practice point of view. Yeah, and just absolutely. obviously just to hang out with people trying to do the same. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. We'll see you on Thursday. <laughs> Catch you on Thursday. Well, thanks very much. Have a great morning. You too. Thank you. We hope you've been enjoying the Physics Ed podcast. We love making science make sense. Why don't you book us for a science show or workshop in your school? If you're outside of Australia, you can connect with us via a virtual excursion. See our website for more. Well, there we go. We just heard from Fiona Morrison, who can really tell loves her STEM stuff. And how good is it for young kids 
in that she's got a background in early education as well as in primary education. What a really handy combo when you're dealing with young kids. You can really tell she loves this. And certainly, uh, if you go hang out on Primary STEM Chat, you can totally uh, really find out you know, her background and you know, more information about what she knows. You could get a lot out of well, what she knows. So uh, tell you what, go on to Twitter. I really recommend that. Look at at Fee Morrison number two. So Fee Morrison 2, F-I-M-O-R-R-I-S-O-N. Too, or go check her out on Instagram with Teach with Mrs. M, and uh, you can definitely learn a lot from her. So, look, that's enough of this particular episode of the Phys Ed Podcast. As usual, we've got more and more things coming up throughout the year and beyond, and uh, I've been having a lot of fun chatting with you in the process. So, uh, look, thanks again. <laughs> I will catch you again another time. You've been listening to another Physics Ed Podcast. We're excited about science. Subscribe to us on iTunes to download the next episode as soon as it's released. And don't forget, for hundreds of ideas, free experiments, our new Be Amazing book and more, go to physicseducation.com.au. That's physics spelled F-I-Z-Z-I-C-S. This podcast is part of the Australian Educators Online Network. AEON.net.au